When I think of New Year's and resolutions, um, one thing I always remember is the first time I read Adrian von Speyer, who is a strange um, Swiss Catholic physician, writer, theologian. She wrote over 60 books. She was a mystic. And I remember standing in a university bookstore and I just read the first couple pages of um, her first chapter and it so grabbed a hold of me and resonated with my experience of life and of trying to um, just try, just trying in general. And so every, every year it's kind of become a traditional to read this one chapter around New Year's or to talk to people about it especially when the topic of resolutions comes up and the idea of, you know, making another resolution. So in honor of new year's coming up, I thought I would, I would read a little bit of it. This is in a book called man before God. And the first chapter is titled limit and it's overcoming. There comes a moment in every man's life when he begins to reflect on his place in the whole of the cosmos, on his future and on the limits of what he can do. But he cannot think about his future without making his past part of the present moment. He sees what he has planned and achieved so far. He also sees everything that has not been achieved, the failed remainder, which perhaps stands before him as his own failure. He remembers days of work, days of rest, his nights, his daydreams, the great deal that he has received, and the little that he has given. He sees that it will not be easy to balance the books because so many seeds have not borne fruit. Many entries are left with question marks next to them. Occasionally there is a successful item that could be marked with a round figure. And yet it is not at all clear that this figure is really round. It is part of a series along with so many other figures that did not come out right. Um, this is Edmund. You know, and, you know, when I read this first paragraph, even the first time I read it, I thought, well, she doesn't talk so much about mistakes, and I wish she would have. You know, she grabbed me with this idea that when we look back, you know, 2018 you is going to look back and go, you know, tomorrow or whenever you hear this, um, around new years, 2018, you is going to look back at 2017, you and be like, not this year. It's going to be different. It's not going to be like that. You 2017, you it's going to be different. We're, we're 2018 us now. And 2017, you is like, you know, looking ahead to 2018, you and like, yeah, right. Idiot. I, I said that to 2016 us, you know, and look how that turned out. I don't know. Here's the rest. Adrian goes on. So now man plans. He draws conclusions from his experiences. He wants to reach farther and different goals, but suddenly he hesitates. 
Whatever plan he makes, he must always reckon with himself. He cannot envision any future that fully satisfies him because he cannot count on any full performance from himself. He knows himself well enough to realize that he will always be an obstacle to himself because he does not remain faithful to his best resolutions. Wherever he turns, he encounters his limits. And yet he must go on. And he cannot do this unless he has before him a road, a destination, an image of his future, unless he undertakes something that satisfies him and that he brings about by his own power. Once again, he looks back on his past. He attempts to take a sober look at the obstacles that he himself placed on the path to draw up an account of all that he has neglected. He tries to do this in a spirit in which he calls things by name and perceives the truth about the forces at work. None of this is easy, because as soon as he gives these failures their real name, he becomes painfully aware of his own responsibility. This failure humiliates him, and now things might seem darker to him than they really are. His confidence in the future wavers. He realizes how much he, re- how much remains undone, how often something was tried, abandoned, and forgotten again. The very first difficulty threw him off track. He simply gave up. past weighs on him and paralyzes his new resolutions. He knows beforehand that it will not work. He looks around in search of heroes who made up their minds to do some great work and did not let anything keep them from it. He would gladly be such a person with the corresponding strength, ability, and perseverance. There is no end to his wishes and yearnings, but resignation debilitates them. He knows that when all is said and done, he is no hero. Everything about him is futile. occur to him that there are also Christian heroes. In their lives, things really have been performed and accomplished. Things whole and holy. If we examine more closely what they have done, if we try to penetrate into the mechanism of their achievement, we find aspects that can be understood together with a great deal that remains opaque. And yet the deed stands there in its rounded integrity, and it is impossible to detect any seams in it. This is curious, disturbing, and unsettling. From where does this unity come? Suddenly it becomes clear. In the Christian hero, the saint, man's nothingness is overcome. It has been absorbed into holiness. This indivisibility is grace, and it comes from God. 
God takes care of his own to the point of completely enveloping and covering them with his grace, but they are not buried beneath it, and they do not lose their distinctive face. They are not paralyzed by the weight of an excessive giving. Rather, grace permeates, saturates, and sets aglow their entire being and places them in a new physical condition. Grace unites itself to man's innermost being. It produces in the saint, as it were, an incarnation that reenacts the incarnation of the divine Son. Christ is God who became man in order to perform as God-man his integral, seamless deeds. The saint is a graced man and is permitted to perform equally integral deeds. By God's arrangement and action, grace and man have become a single reality. The resulting work retains the properties of both, those of man and those of grace, but forever united. Whoever considers this successful outcome understands that man's nothingness represents a state of deficiency. Man lacks something. His sin has moved him away from the place where he should and could stand. He can, of course, fool himself into thinking that through sin he merely has strayed onto a bypath from which he still sees the right way. But deep down he knows better. He no longer sees the right way. He has become entangled in a thicket that his eye can no longer pierce in any way. Reflection alone cannot help him find the way out. He does not know how best to use his remaining strength. He needs grace for this. And therefore he must first of all submit. He must make himself so light that grace outweighs everything else in him. He must forget himself. This is the only true conclusion that follows from the recognition of his nothingness in order to allow grace to stream into the empty space that he is. This reminds me, Edmund, um, this reminds me of um, St. Paul in Scripture saying, talking about this war, you know, the, the sin that he experiences in his person, this tearing between the thing I want to do, but I don't do, and the thing I don't do, or I don't want to do, that I do. And I remember hearing someone say that, um, they, I think the speaker was talking to, about his daughter, and his daughter was saying, you know, yeah, there's this part of me that wants to do good, and sometimes a part of me wants to do bad, but there's, a, there's this third part of me. And it's this part of me that hates the part of me that wants to do bad and loves the part of me that wants to do good. And as I think about the upcoming year and New Year's and resolutions, it's easier for me to think, it's easy for all of us to think resolutions are stupid and they never work or next year will be different and you know we'll follow, we'll follow through on them. But as I think back on the short 29 years of my life, and it's it's really hard not to get to 30 without having a lot uh, to regret or feel embarrassed for um, or resolution broken resolutions that you wish you'd followed up on. But I wonder if um, in the end, 
keeping the resolution, finally doing it, is really the point. Or maybe it's just about making them. This is the last part of the chapter from Adrian. As far as he is concerned, then, he is, capable, he is incapable of imitating the Christian hero. He cannot set off on his own to follow him, and nevertheless, the image remains. The example with its radiant, inviting appeal. On the one side, he stands with his failure, his doubts, and with the need to make plans for his life that he knows he cannot sustain. On the other side stands the round deed of the apostolic man that shines upon him, challenges him, fascinates him. Yet he realizes that he cannot leap over the intervening gulf by imitating from this side the deeds of a person who is on the other side. Rather, he must get out of himself. The first comprehensive deed concerns the I itself. He must go out of himself. He must step outside of his own self. And this is a sort of annihilation, a forgetting and a losing of himself, and a call for a new solitude. It is a bursting of his own center in order to free up space for God, who enters into this center and from there makes something new out of him, who above all takes him into his service. This possession must become unifying, the unifying point in him, but he will not be able to occupy, fix, or experience this point himself. He is catapulted out of the limits of his nothingness, but he cannot trace this described trajectory because he has surrendered and lost himself. All at once, the word nothingness requires a new meaning for him. It is now nothing more than a signal, a warning sign. Oh my god. If you do, I do. <laughs> <laughs> 
Marty, if he finds me, swallow it like a pill. Just specifying when this, when, when, when you do this. God! 